0: want to listen to a podcast that will not cost you 20 bars of cold pressed latinum you've come to the right place because this is feature please a hateful voyage through the delta quadrant my name is joseph and i'm your buy one get one co-host free peter yes and you know you're a bargain at twice the price peter just want you to know that before we get into talking about our Voyager episode this week, there was actually a lot of like trek news.
1: Wait, hold on. What happened? Were you shooting shots at Delta Flyers just now, or was that in reference
0: to this episode? It was that was in reference to this episode. Oh I was like <laughs> Damn man, we're
1: coming out hot against Delta Flyer. Well you Fuck. are.
0: <laughs> you are. You're ready to you're ready to uh knock on their uh, shall we say, immediate monetization. I, I you know whatever gets them paid man like that's they're obviously in a position where they can do that this is this is this is not real life for us this is fun this is love
1: this is fan love i will say real quick uh for delta flyer i i see that they're not just stuck to spotify they're on google podcast now so uh that's cool listen to
0: them after after you listen to us Anyways, clear clear second place listen to us here i thought we were coming out raw all right okay what were you saying Uh, There was some Trek news this week. A couple things happened since we last uh, got together and and were able to record, Peter. And and one was, you know, actual like Star Trek production news. And another, I think, is even more momentous. Uh, The actual production news was they announced another Star Trek show, a brand new Star Trek show that's going to go into production, which is uh, Strange New Worlds. is what it's going to be called. And it's essentially going to be the Pike show. Uh, it's the Pike Enterprise show with number one and Spock and, you know, the, the before Kirk years, uh, essentially. And, and it's been re- rumors, I guess, like that this was going to happen for a while. But they finally announced it was real, like ants and mounts coming back and everything else. <sighs> Boy. 2020,
1: huh? You yeah. jump back to 2019 and you thought 2019 was just a garbage fire year with all the people who died. And you know, I listened back on some of our earlier episodes and there was so much optimism and it's a great time for Star Trek and sci-fi and here's all this cool stuff going on. And then this stuff came here and we turned into ugly, mean neckbeard podcasters and we lost <laughs> listeners because we were so negative. Yeah, yeah, I just. I'm over it, man, like. I want to say yay and be excited, but I like season one of Discovery a lot for most of the season. I didn't really care too much for season two of Discovery. Um, Picard abducted me and dragged me to Cambodia in death camp and <laughs> tied me to a wireframe bed and shocked me. <laughs>
0: Batteries That's and the hot. hyperbole in that at all. It literally tortured you. Yeah. OK.
1: Yeah. And it's just like you know, all these rumors from like Doomcock and these other guys that the uh, the the fucking hack fraud Kurtzman camp was on their way out and that people were going to buy the property and that, you know, Section 31 TV show wasn't going to happen. Like that's what started getting me excited was like, hey, maybe someone else will get behind the wheel that does this. I won't say better because I still believe if if you're out there enjoying these versions of Star Trek, good. I'm glad there's something you like. But If someone else can get behind the wheel to make something more that I would like, that would be swell. So on paper, Enterprise sounds great. I really enjoyed Anson Mount as Pike. Uh, That one short trek with Spock and number one singing show tunes in the turbolift did did damage. Yeah, really did. did. Bad damage. Um, So I don't know. Maybe they can turn it around into something enjoyable, but the track record is looking pretty grim right now, and I would just rather... I would rather it stop, and that sucks, man. To like look at stuff like Star Wars and Star Trek and just be like,
0: "Please, yeah." There's there's hope for Star Wars, though. I mean, Mandalorian the- did open a lot of doors with Fab Brown, whatever and- it did. And I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it. I don't know if you have Disney Plus. I assume you do. I do. I have uh, children. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Bruce, so you, you think
1: that uh, you think <laughs> you can just watch Frozen fifteen times a day uh, with magic? No, you need you need that Disney Plus.
0: Well, there is a great watch on Disney Plus, which is essentially a—I uh, f- I forget the name of it now. Actually, off the top of my head, it was a essentially a backstage show about the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, some great discussions with Phaloni uh, and Favreau and like all the people that directed episodes of Mandalorian, like talking about. Uh, is the name of that series Frozen or Frozen Two? i i
1: I don't believe
0: and it's not gonna get played on my tv okay okay Okay. i'm sorry
1: i'm sorry the the fucking dance cards full around these parts man it's i I am sorry though it's everything i can do legitimately
0: weep for you It's it's everything
1: i can do just to sneak in 45 minutes of voyager once a week uh, um i know what you're talking about my boss was talking about it he said the tt what wakata i'm sorry
0: whatever his name is I can't ever get his name right either. The guy who did Thor Ragnarok and yes. all what the we do in best the shadows. Guy. The best guy. Yeah. Filoni uh, uh, actually was the one that was a standout because he like talked about the story arc that occurred in episode one and why it was so meaningful. And like in two and a half minutes, he essentially changed my mind about that movie. It was amazing. Uh, but the, the point is there are good creative minds who are in the Star Wars universe right now, and they're clearly getting more attention and, and potentially more control over what's happening, right? Like that there seems to be hope. There are some people involved in the property that could potentially take over from a creative perspective that could make better. Star Trek, like the other thing that happened this week is that the Plinket review came out. The Red Letter Media Plinket review for Picard that was teased a couple of weeks ago, it dropped and, you know, it's everything you would expect from a Plinket-style review of Really, just taking down so many problems with the show, but it wraps on, I, I guess you would call it a 20 minute thesis statement that was a little bit more earnest about why the show failed. Then the show failed because the creative minds behind it were bankrupt. And that's never going to change as long as these people are in charge. And sure enough, if you look at the people who are writing and producing Strange New Worlds, it's Hack Fraud Kurtzman, Akiva Goldsman, and some other person that I've I've never heard of. So like the Michael Chabon of the show, like the person they bring in that, you know, ends up suborning themselves to the lack of creative vision that the other two have. It's just it's no it's 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 not going to it's not going to do anything. And it's it's not going to be any different. And like you, I'm kind of over it because it just makes me sad (laughs) and I prefer not to talk about it. That's sad. I follow this guy on Instagram called
1: uh, Captain's Coffee, and they've got some pretty great content between there and Twitter. And he ran a poll. uh, I think it's a he. I don't know. And he's got a pretty big uh, follower base. And it's, you know, are you feeling happy with Star Trek after season two of Discovery and season one of Picard? And it's like a 49% yes, 51% no. And usually the Instagram crowds a little bit more keen to the newer trek. So I was very surprised to see that as closely split as it was that it was leaning towards no. And I, I don't want to, you know, drag this podcast down. Obviously you and I have very strong anti-Picard feelings at this point. And it's it's cost us listeners. So I don't want to get too deep <laughs> into Don't worry. We'll get into the yucks here shortly. Suffice it to say, uh, you know, I'll still watch the the Pike series. Um but I think we'll we'll do our fans a favor and not, not divert away it. and
0: <laughs> do ourselves any more irreparable damage. Yeah. Agreed. And speaking of irreparable damage to one's brain, what episode did we watch this week? Season five, episode seven, Infinite Regress. Before we get into talking about the episode, do you want to explain to our audience why we are prejudiced against multiple personality plot lines? I don't. I don't know what yours
1: is. I mean, I talked at the end of the last episode um, that the there was a real cool guy move back in the late '80s, early '90s, and and stretched through a good chunk of the '90s to always fit one of these mer- multiple personalities or dissociative identity disorder episodes in, where you've got one person that's being possessed by other personalities, voices, body languages, whatever. Uh, multiple personality disorder is like super duper rare with like one or two proven cases and like all human record. So it's a silly concept to start off with. And it's usually executed pretty poorly and it's just a trashy shit episode. We got a little taste of it in TNG with masks and I'm sure there's been plenty of other examples since then, but I'm quick to forget them. Um, I was also referring
0: to our shared hobby where unfortunately, oh god, we had a lot of examples of that. So, as we have referenced on the show before, Peter and I's former no, shared not hobby me, was, just
1: just Joe. I have nothing to do with this. Yeah, I don't know what whatever. you're talking about.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were LARPers, not uh, me. Our, yeah, so our, our game of choice was Vampire the Masquerade. No, I was basketball, and, I love basketball and football. Yeah, you were and and juggalos. Let's not forget that you're also a juggalo, uh, but. <laughs> but there was a subset that you could play in the game that uh all shared a, a common thread that they all had to have some kind of severe mental illness. You know, it's a gothic punk horror game, so the idea was to something really tragic and awful. Uh, but instead, people did all the time bad multiple personalities stuff, uh, usually either for laughs or to do just the dumbest things in game. And it became very very, very irritating, very quickly. Lots of cringe. Lots of cringe. And so with that in mind, despite my prejudice against multiple personality things, this uh, raises one of one of my personal favorites as far as like uh, seven of nine episodes. It's a good Voyager episode overall. And I think they do a good job of making it horrific in this episode. And that ultimately makes it, A a B-plus watch, in my opinion.
1: I will not disagree with anything you just said. Um, Oh, my
0: goodness. Wow.
1: It would have been easy for this to be a complete garbage fire. And I think it was as good as it was specifically because of Jerry Ryan, uh, who is quickly earning the earlier accolades that you've given her, uh, as to being one of the strongest actors that Star Trek has seen. Uh, we open up the episode with a slow pan over the Borg alcove cargo bay. And I'm reminded yet again, how hella unsafe (laughs) (laughs) the cargo storage areas in Voyager are. I work in warehousing. I am very aware of the OSHA rules and just how easy stuff falls off a rack. So seeing like <laughs> 55 gallon <laughs> drums just stacked on each other and like big heavy ass, just, just begging to break a spine. Top heavy all- shit. Yeah. Like, did you learn nothing from, from that BWC complaint that war filed back in PNG <laughs> when his had to get genitronic replicator to put him back together? I just think too, like as much as Voyager gets jostled around all this shit, that's just loose on the shelf. Like, if Seven of Nine is in a regeneration period and like stuff starts shaking, it, it's going to be like a bunch of rocks in a steel tumbler with like a little silly putty guy. And there's just it's going to mangle her. But she's cool with it, so whatever. Uh, we zoom in on Seven of Nine with some of the most dramatic lighting we have seen since the unveiling of Seven of Nine. And it is a strobe light aimed at her crotch and her under boobs. And it's just like... <laughs>
0: going ape shit it's also the very the first i want to say two minutes uh the kind of the the fade in uh, to the first cut is all one long take and it's a it's a the camera move comes from above goes to to kind of eye level with seven of nine and then kind of follows behind and then gets in front and then kind of watches her come out of the cargo bay, which is more complex uh, a camera move than I think I've ever seen on Voyager. Like there was a tracking shot in uh, Night that was notable to both of us because it showed that the conference room was right next to the bridge, which we had never seen before. And this was probably the most labor-intensive camera move i think i've ever seen on the show which is telling you something five years in that a two-minute tracking shot was impressive i don't
1: know anything you're talking about because the only thing i remember out of that scene is heavy loose stuff on the top racks and flashing bright lights on jerry ryan's rack
0: when and speaking of jerry ryan though uh as she exits the alcove you There's this cacophony of voices that is is played as an audio cue, and immediately her body language really stands out. And that's probably one of the more notable things about her performance in this episode is how good her body language is as she kind of deals with what she ends up dealing with. And it's very different than what you're used to Mrs. Robot 7 of 9. She's kind of stalking. She's sniffing the air. Very feral. Yeah, very much more feral. You know, something is off just from that. She hasn't said a single line of dialogue. It's just her body language. And you're like, what the fuck? What is who is this person? She's, she's stalking prey. Right.
1: So she's very feral. You know, she's hunched over. She makes her way up into the mess hall, gets into the refrigerator, rips it open and eats one of those Renaissance fair style turkey legs. Uh, Which are delicious, by the yeah, way. Yeah. My daughter is sitting there and she's like, ooh, what's she What what's she doing? And my wife is also there and comments that, well, she's just hangry that they made her starve to fit into that outfit. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what it looks like to me right there. Um, it to the body language. And there's going to be a lot of compliments I'm going to throw at her because she does effectively end up differentiating her characters that she's going to be portraying through this through not only vocalization but a lot of heavy body language and i have to wonder if maybe we're being unfair and praising her for ultimately an easy task because seven is so rigid and so devoid of any any emotion any expression right it's always just straight as a board back arched shoulders you know squared uh it's the same deal as tuvok right and on the occasion that we have an opportunity to observe real talk, Tuvok, anytime Tuvok's logic gets inhibited by some big blinking light boxes on his neck or, you know, he meld mind-meld mind-melds with serial killers and goes ape shit, you get to see all this energy, all this passion and emotion come out. And it seems such a drastic contrast to what you normally get. And it's like, yeah, when you go from like, Zero to four hundred. Of course, it's noticeable. Is it really great acting, or is it just like, man, you were just doing something so bland before that anything could have been uh, as dramatic of a switch?
0: I don't think we're overpraising her because there she has to shift into so many different gears in this episode, and they're all so dramatically different. Yeah, and they're all very authentically portrayed. Uh, I think you know we're we're gonna I'm sure get into it as we go through the episode and and what she does. But to me, the the most difficult one that she pulled off was, uh, the child, like shifting into being a kid so much immediately, like changes and she she manages to pull it off. Like there's nothing wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is the telltale sign of a good actor. Absolutely. Um, so she tears
1: up this uh, this little Renaissance festival feast that Neelix has had squared squirreled away. Uh, we cut over to the briefing room where we find out that there is a what was it a hundred light year no hundred kilometer debris field or something? Yes, and that they're going to fly right through it, and that that is in fact what used to be a Borg cube that has been blown up. And Janeway uncharacteristically is like. Well, let's avoid it. Where in the past, she's been like, let's fly right into it and see what sort of space Mewtwo's we can't piss off along the way. Um, again, you know, you can flip a coin and decide what kind of Janeway are we going to get this, this episode? Is it going to be conservative by the book Janeway? Is it going to be stupidly reckless Janeway? Who knows? This time we've got the conservative version. And at the tail end of this meeting... Neelix pipes up and says that he's got something that once again, someone has raided the mess hall and ransacked the provisions. And like everybody just jokes it off. And it's like, this seems like kind of a big deal. Like I would think petty theft would be a big fucking deal on Voyager. You've got a closed ecosystem. You've got a limited good. If you want to hear us go on about the importance of uh, transport, uh, replicator rations, feel free to listen to any episode from season one or season two that we did. Uh, and the the best part of this is the complete disregard that Tuvok has for this situation. It's like oh, so much shade with no emotion. It's just yeah. ugh. what he's doing is he's deflecting the fact that he's fucking terrible at his job. And not only can he not keep space terrorists like Seska from completely reprogramming the computer at a fundamental level, he can't even keep mice out of the pantry, right? You know what would solve this problem? Cameras. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know what's like like the one that was installed for one episode in sick Bay? (laughs) You know that one with the, uh, the Chakotay spirit Walker Oregon trail. Yeah. Do you know what else would have solved that problem?
1: What door locks? Hey, you know what? Neelix asked for permission to replicate them. So they better security chief than Tuvok door locks, security cameras. Those two space age technologies could eliminate roughly 40% 40% of the plots that Voyager encounters over the past five years it's been out to 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 you know run home like if this doesn't so clearly highlight the fucking problems in the operational security on this ship man I don't know what will the next scene is
0: the one with Naomi Weld <sighs> so so Peter's favorite thing in the whole world is next, which is uh, our appearance from our child actor, Naomi Wildman, whom, as I recall, I warned you, was going to be showing up a lot more. I did not remember forward. your
1: warning, and I, she popped on screen, and it felt like someone broke a chair over my head. I was like, oh, <laughs> come on,
0: goddamn it. I think her use me. is very appropriate in this episode.
1: It is, but I still was not happy to see her.
0: <laughs> so she's uh, seemingly kind of trying to follow Seven of Nine as she goes through her her day uh, doing whatever it is Seven of Nine was doing. Um, you know, she's taking notes on some kind of pad. Uh, and when she thinks Seven of Nine has gone down on the corridor and continues to follow her, actually Seven is doubled back because she has noticed that she is being followed. And and says, uh, I think in a quite a Borg, a funny line, uh, Na- she, she says that Naomi Wildman's subunit to end and Samantha Wildman states your intentions, which I always like, always gets a laugh out of me. It's like, this is exactly how a Borg would talk to a kid.
1: Yeah, I also um, like when she's like "Uh, nothing and tries to to lie to her. Seven's like, all right, well, then I'm going to go rat you out to Janeway. Yeah, I mean,
0: the 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 interaction between the two of them, I think, is a nice note for the episode. And I certainly don't mind the use of Naomi here. So side note,
1: right. And let me recognize something good where it's due in Voyager it used to be extremely rare for us to see in Voyager multi-episode story arcs. Uh, And the first time we really had a taste of Voyager building a cohesive story was uh, during the Seska plotline when we started by seeding um, seeding plot points of a Tom Paris Chakotay rivalry that would culminate in Paris deciding to leave Voyager get picked up by Seska and you know become the inside man there. So this relationship that we're going to see between 7 of 9 and Naomi Wildman was first hinted at back in Once Upon Was it Once Upon a Time where naomi wildman became aware you know we were introduced that she's afraid of seven of nine that she's someone on her radar and there was some force interaction that felt kind of clumsy but it does serve as a good jumping off point in this episode where it's like okay she's already on her radar they're interacting and there's a little bit of backstory coming into what will develop through the rest of this episode
0: the the stuff that you know naomi wants to work on is being Uh, The captain's assistant since like her aspiration to just be more involved with things that are going on the ship and and be useful to the crew, which makes sense because she's a child that has no other interaction except with Starfleet officers. And she has observed Seven of Nine's perfection as a way to do that. Right. And is taking notes and that sort of thing. And um, you know. They're, they're having the conversation. It's a walk and talk. It's an Aaron Sorkin-style walk and talk. It's another extended shot. A shot from above, which actually demonstrates the height difference between the kid and, you know, Jerry Ryan and heels.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, <laughs> kind of comically. Um, and, you know, she's trying to convince Seven of Nine to help her because Borg are perfect. Borg are trying to be perfect. And Naomi and her childlike wisdom has ascertained if she is more perfect, she has a better chance of – Of achieving her goal Joe let me Um, ask you something real quick
1: and you just highlighted you know her and her Barbie doll supermodel heels yes what what if they didn't have seven of nine be a crazy hot supermodel what if they would have kept her an ugly ass half drone as she looked in her final stage It was like halfway between full-on drone and kind of human like How different do you think the show would have been?
0: It's an interesting question. I feel like. Seven of nine's physical appearance plays into a lot of the interaction that she has in season four. It comes into play in a number of other episodes, you know, so you have to basically factor all of that out. I think like that's almost so much such a different universe to consider. Because if it was OK, Jerry Ryan plays the character, but the character, like you said, has no physical attractiveness whatsoever. And it's solely focused on her story of like being a, a half cybernetic ex-Borg drone that's, you know, in the process of rehabilitation mm-hmm. that no one is trying to sleep with. It's hard to say. I, I guess it's hard to it's hard to know. I would assume that if you didn't have that, then you would have to have replaced that plot line with things, things with more depth and that would have been better i think had she been like ugly and a real outsider
1: uh, with with a real physical handicap turning her into a second class citizen i think it would have been a more compelling story uh i i think i would have preferred it to you know the most beautiful person you've ever seen in trek and i think a lot of the prejudice that she faces that seems completely undeserved or silly like uh the, the chicken people. Um, oh, yeah. B'Elanna's bad day at work. Oops, we stole your warp core. Now give us more Band-Aids. Like that chicken dude spotting her be like, oh, you got a next board. Like it, it would be a harder to be sympathetic to her. And a lot of her crazy actions, especially earlier on, would have seemed much more drastic. I I, I think I would have liked it. But uh, yeah, there's certainly a, a stark. I see, diff-
0: I see what you're getting at. Like by her appearance could have othered her better. They made her appearance so perfect that it's difficult to conceive of her being othered either by the crew or by random outsiders. Like, why would any rando be like, oh, a Borg? It's like, no, she looks almost entirely human with like some cybernetics on her face and hand. That's it. Yeah. Otherwise, she's like a smoking hot human being who's not in a uniform. Right. Like there's nothing to suggest that she should be persecuted, (laughs) you know, like this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I think it would have been better if they had done that. They could have played up the otherness part of her and would have made all of her connections with others feel more earned. Yeah, I think because then it's like those connections are being built out of a genuine regard rather than being assisted by the fact this person is also, you know, strikingly attractive.
1: I think it would have been cool if like they would have dragged the plot line out longer and like. The more human she became inside, the more it was reflected on the outside as she like shed more and more technology in favor of like it worked up to w- what she is right now. I, but again, you know, she was brought in as the sex thing, and the network suits wanted boobs and spandex. They got the boobs and spandex and whatever. Uh, and as you've pointed out, a great actor along the way, which we get our first taste of because as she's walking with uh, Wildman. She gets her first uh, multiple personality switch. She reverts down to a... What we'll find out is another young girl. And man, when she hits that character change, like her face goes kind of like... Not silly, but like very joyful and carefree and she blasts that smile out and yeah
0: yeah i was gonna bring that up yeah dude I this imagined. smile
1: just fucking kills every time she breaks out i've never seen anything else with jerry ryan and every time she busts this thing out like i feel something flutter inside of me i'm like oh god is she smiling oh my god it's it's, <laughs> it's like the death star laser just shooting out and blasting me um whole body language changes and then there's a lot of facial acting and you can see this this very juvenile demeanor hitter. And she's like, Hey, let's go play
0: space checkers. So they do exactly that. And Naomi's not, you know, hip to un- what's going on enough to really question it, which makes sense, right? Like a kid that age is going to be like, Oh yeah, sure. Like this is fun. I like it. And the scene shifts to them playing space checkers in Naomi's uh, quarters. And they're just talking about, you know, Naomi's ambitions and wanting, you know, like she knows all of the sub directives of the prime directive. Like there's 26 of them. You know, she's memorizing everything she possibly can about being a Starfleet officer. And the persona that Seven has taken on is clearly a a more carefree and disinterested child. (laughs) uh, who says she had 12 brothers and they learned how to play space checkers together. And uh, it it. The way they structure the scene, it makes sense that Naomi doesn't catch on to what's going on because she doesn't say like she, she's not seven of nine.
1: Right. She, and then we get she, a, she, a cheaty shot where they show Seven's reflection in the game of space. You know, it's a shiny surface and you can see in the reflection like oh, it's a little girl standing where Seven's standing and this isn't real. So, like some real audience holding.
0: They did that in the tease as well. That the when she's chowing down on the turkey leg, it's a Klingon. Yeah. So the it's there in case, just in case you're the the 15 viewers that don't get it. There's a <laughs> visual cue for you. You know, just we're helping you out. We're helping you out. We got you. Don't worry.
1: So then the middle plane base checkers and Torres calls to uh, seven because she needs some help in engineering, and then. Obviously, the little girl Seven doesn't reply, and then she pages her again like two seconds after she didn't reply the first time, and that's what kind of snaps Seven out of it. Um y- You know, there's a lot of times in Voyager, like, hey, clearly something's wrong. Why aren't you asking for help or whatever? I think this is a scene that works for me because Seven, she's she's full of herself, you know, she's headstrong. And she's not going to admit weakness. She's a place where she should be, or she's not where she should be. And she kind of tries to like push her day along, shrugging off the inconsistencies that she has just been confronted with because she just snaps into this room. Like, well, how the fuck did I get here? More missing time. This doesn't feel, Oh wait, I'm supposed to be an engineering. Yeah. On my way. They
0: play up her discomfort. I think to the right degree, you can kind of tell she's off that, you know, something has happened, but it, It's not to the point where it's taken her over. She makes her way down to engineering. She finds out from Bolana that there is apparently some kind of neural, uh, interlink frequency, I believe it's called, uh, that is being detected from the debris field. And seven quickly suggests, well, I, I had a lapse of, of consciousness, essentially, and I couldn't account for my actions or my, uh, location, uh, a short time ago, and uh, this might be the reason. And we should get to the bottom of that. And uh, <laughs> Blon is like help, very, very s- not quite helpful. Is like, well, you should probably go to like sick bay or something. Like she seems kind of un, un, caring about Seven of Nines' well being. You, know, you know, they've had some problems. So she's like, oh, maybe you should like go to the doctor or something.
1: I didn't think she came off as uncaring and. This, this ties into what I just said, like, you know, something's wrong and you probably should go to the sick bay and get checked up, but they've got enough. There, there's the right motivators in play to encourage that workaholic attitude of like, this is. I'm going to be able to fix this. The doctor can't. Maybe I should hang out here and. You know, I don't blame Bilana for being like, yeah, why don't you get out of sick, baby? Because I've had enough robots go crazy rampage and fuck me up that like I can sense something wrong coming from the biomechanical corner. Please get away with me from me. But before that conversation can really progress any further, she gets hit with the uh, character swap again and the character that she was first infected with, which is this old Klingon guy. That's a guy that she rated neelix's pantry with pops up uh not the best klingon accent or dialogue that we've ever seen delivered but it is an entertaining scene nonetheless because this old klingon dude turns around and there's old Belana torres looking all fine mm-hmm. and uh
0: it's uh it's business time so i it's worth pointing out at this point that jerry ryan had had essentially no context for a Klingon or a Ferengi for that matter, which she'll have to do later Uh, before doing this episode. She had to binge watch a bunch of DS nine to learn the mannerisms and speech patterns and body language. So the fact that it's a little off for a Klingon, I think is pretty good considering it's her first crack at it. Not really having a lot of context. Like she kind of gets the haughty, Klingon, you know, patter of the dialogue. She does the pronunciation of all the Klingon words really well. And uh she she definitely turns on the I'm going to have sex with you right now, Balana vibe immediately. I like Belana's like,
1: did Tom put you up to this? Like she's not buying it at all. She understands what's happening. She doesn't understand why it's happening. And she does not want it to happen. And then we skipped, of course, the best part of any Klingon date. And it's when the dude bites the chick on the face.
0: Oh, yeah. So we get a, a full on attempt at a initiating a mating ritual moment. Uh, when that happens, of course, uh, that is when a space pipe is grabbed. And that's when we know <laughs> that shit is real. Uh, and... Uh, Security attempts to stop seven of nine, but they're uh, no match for being pushed to the side. As usual, the only weakness of a a Starfleet security officer. And uh, she takes off down the hallway. Uh, They eventually corner her and trap her in force fields after she beats another guy's ass. So yes,
1: calls to the bridge and says, hey, I need security Seven just bit me. Something's wrong. And this is where I have to stop and say, all right, let me let me do some space math here, because this is seven of nine gun toting rampage number four, I think. <laughs> Raven, I think so, yeah, yeah, Raven. Yeah. right. There was a one where she threw the security guard into uh, Harry Kim, like right when they first picked her up and she tried to make her initial break, right? That's correct. Uh, this one, and I want to say there's at least one other one in there, and there might be five more there. I don't know, like the, the, the number of times we had to sit through the seven doesn't want to be a real girl story after all, like it's it's absurd. And thankfully, in this episode, there is finally some real recognition that, hey, Chakotay told you so. And what the fuck, Janeway, like it's Janeway who brings it up. Um, uh, on the bridge itself because like you said they they corner her she's trapped between force fields Tuvok starts rolling up on her with his gun out they have the worst security extra I think we'll ever see with zero face acting like I don't know what this guy's direction was other than to look completely out of place during this whole thing um but They start approaching her and she's talking crazy. Tuvok immediately recognizes that, hey, this isn't who we think it is. And he starts trying to test the waters out. Like, who are you exactly? And he gets a couple different. I I really enjoyed the the Vulcan persona that surfaces during this. But back up on the bridge, Janeway's like, yeah, so uh, gosh, maybe you were right, Chakotay. Maybe we should not have brought my little science experiment on board since she's just like, Gunned down another six people on her fifth. (laughs) How how many? I
0: almost want to go back through my notes and see how many. How many? Like, I wish there was some YouTube video we could turn to that had like the actual body count, like one after another. Uh, Destroyed shuttlecraft. uh, It's seven, seven of
1: nine gun toting rampages and and photon torpedoes. I mean, those are the big numbers to track for crazy times in the Delta Quadrant.
0: Uh, and it's I, agree. I would agree with you, though, like the 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 continuitous recognition of seven of nines doubting of of or rather Chicote's doubting of keeping seven of nine on the ship was nice to reference. But I did like that. It was Chicote who's like, oh, I, I doubted she would last at all. She's come a lot further than I thought. You, you know, like this is this yeah. is a a project that was worth doing ultimately. And I was actually incorrect to doubt it i 100
1: agree and it's a fact that it's him calling out because again I, I really feel and i don't know if it's just because you know we're both dudes in our 30s or whatever i feel like a lot of time for the past two season chakotay feels like my voice on the show and when all this is happening and janway does finally express doubt about the decision to bring her in i'm like you know what i think at this point she has proven herself to be effective and for Chakota to chime, and I'm like, "Good, okay." I feel like we can put this, these doubts to bed for good, and and the the sacrifice has in fact been worth it.
0: The next scene I think opens at sickbay. She's been unco- seven nine has been unconscious for a couple hours. She has a swirly thing on her neck, which is you know number one sign that there's something wrong with your brain, as we have established in the past,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and this is where we get the download of information that seven of nine is essentially suffering from space, multiple personalities having to do with her time as a Borg. The way they explain it is that the way the Borg hive mind works, she essentially has what you would call uh, disc images of people kind of in her computer brain in her head, which we have now seen is quite extensive and they remain dormant now that she's not connected to the hive mind, but some uh, – the the connection to this neurotransmitter may have activated them. And now she's kind of getting this weird – instead of being in a hive mind, these individual uh, disk images of different people that were, had been assimilated during her time as a Borg are trying to, to come to the surface individually and are overriding her own personality, which so, I thought was cool. That was a, a cool setup that uses this trope in a way that's that's effective for science fiction
1: yes very strong conflicted feelings on this uh the doctor starts describing it instantly i roll my eyes back like oh god fucking mp like i don't and i checked out of a little bit of the the discussion here you you hinted to it we are talking about the smartest human being in the universe right now by virtue of the amount of board technology jammed in her brain and To be fair, this isn't a microchip in her brain, as we just saw in Timeless, like her entire left hemisphere of her brain is a big copper piece of Borg tech. Like it's it is 50 percent of the matter in her head is Borg computer. So these infinite swaths of information she seems to have about every little detail about every little species. Yeah, man, when you got that much physical space allocated to memory, it makes sense. And also, yes, the the fact that all of these people and all of their memories and thoughts and everything else was fully assimilated, it makes sense that there are fully fleshed out alternate personalities laying dormant somewhere in the code. Uh, yeah. My question yeah, but- in this is, are these people that she has access to, were they people that her cube or her immediate fami- familial unit in the Borg were responsible for assimilating, or was it some cube somewhere else still on the network touched these people, assimilated these people, and she received you know, transmissions of this, th- these thought
0: prints in the process. I would, I would assume it would have to be the latter, because specifically there's a number... Of Wolf people that were yeah that were that were assimilated as a consequence of Wolf Three Five Nine, and those people would have been assimilated, but they would have all died. You know, when the cube blew up, yeah, yeah, you know, short maybe. time later. So, uh, I, it seems to me that it was downloaded from across the Borg spectrum. That's unfortunate because
1: I think had they all been direct victims of her cube, that there could have been a lot more grief that was in play as a part. Like they touch on it. I think effectively they they have,
0: they they do touch on it just a little bit of like her personal culpability and being responsible for like the murder of thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. But they, they only brush up against it in one scene and then they kind of depart from that.
1: I guess if I could change anything about this episode, it would have been, it would have been cool if it had been like, Instead of like hundreds of people in her head, like five or six, but those are the five or six people that she personally jammed the assimilation tubes into that. She was the primary conduit conduit for the, those assimilations. And that's like personal kills that she would have to struggle with. Um, but as far as reasons to have voices in your head and multiple personality disorders go, uh, this is pretty solid Star Trekly speaking,
0: the point the 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 space conundrum from this point forward is we need to figure out a way to turn off this uh, signal that's causing this to happen to Seven of Nine, and they uh, ultimately decide to move uh, forward into collecting this thing that's transmitting it, which we later find out uh, is called a viniculum. Uh, which is essentially the neural core of a cube. Or as Janeway will call it, the heart of a cube. The next thing that happens is that dopey Neelix scene where she's like, he's just begging to get choked. You know, he's begging to get choke slammed in the fucking hallway, like following along after uh, Seven of Nine and the doctor where he's like, can I help? Can I help? Can I help? And Seven's like, no, no, just fuck off, please. And uh, they end with... You know, him being like, oh, Naomi Wildman drew you this. And, you know, it's like, oh, that's touching. You know, like we became friends while I was unconscious and like secretly a child, I guess. Moops. They end up going back to the cargo bay. And that's when they have the scene where she goes through the second lives she's been leading while these alternate personalities have been taking over. And it's in the form of audio logs that these people have left as part of this latent after image of their existence. And it's, uh it's actually pretty dark. Uh, one's like from an ensign on a ship that got assimilated. A Tampa. Uh, uh, another one is a, a, a woman from a, race that's clearly not human because of They're the vampires. language
1: used. They talk about yeah. torpor.
0: Yeah, they talk about torpor, vampires, yeah. Uh, but, like, is clearly, like, writing an affectionate love letter to some distant mate. Um, and it's all done in Seven's voice, but it's all very, just completely different because, of course, she's a different person. It's just another kind of feather in her cap of how she was able to shift gears into different roles
1: i feel like this is the real story of this episode it's not uh, seven of nine is gonna die unless they you know complete the the space hurdle right it's the borg are fucking terrible and what a what a great collection of stories what a anthology of miserable feeling little vignettes you get into the lives of the people that have been assimilated by the borg and why the borg are as reviled and evil as they are and why you must stop at nothing to purge them from the galaxy Catherine janeway who (laughs) fucked
0: over billions of people to this miserable peter but peter the space Mewtwo's were mean to kess that means we have to back the borg
1: come on man an hour and a half maybe even two hours we've put into Nailing this dead horse to a cross and I will I will not stop, <laughs> god damn it.
0: Uh, uh, this is also the there's also a good moment here between her and the doctor where she's that this is where they brush up against her personal culpability. Yeah. Of like, I don't know the names of every person I helped assimilate. And, you know, the, the doctor kind of reassures her, like, listen, that wasn't you. That was you as a drone. You you have to realize this is this is not who you are now and you know who you are now is going to be your decision not the decision of this strange Borg hive mind that cares nothing about you know personal agency humanity or life
1: Here's what I wish I wish that this plot line of god I was part of genocide look at all the lives I've ruined look at all the knowledge I have of these people who I murdered That's the ongoing story that I would have liked to have through the entirety of season four instead of um, seven of nine becoming a real girl over and over and over again. I think this was you could have gotten some real mileage out of it. I think they they touch on it well here, but there's a lot of meat on that bone. And it's a shame that that's not the primary character conflict that seven of nine has to deal with through her growth process. Instead, it's like going on dates with Harry Kim and.
0: Whatever the fucking bell they kept ringing was. So the they they find the viniculum. They decide to beam it on board. Of Which course, looks we're next dope. to the warp core. You know. <laughs> you know we got to make sure it's next to the warp core because it's dangerous Borg technology. We know this nothing about. This
1: thing looks evil as fuck. It's this <laughs> it really does. Glowing, throbbing green diamond that looks like yeah. it should be hanging around Dracula's neck as an amulet, right? they see this thing laying in the wreckage of the giant group. lich's five you know, like. Yeah, that's what I called. It was the phylactery. Um, they ultimately decide like, listen, we're going to have to face this thing head on because whatever it's doing, that's fucking with seven of nine permeates subspace. And it means that no matter how far you fly away from this, it's going to keep screwing with her regardless. So screw what we said before, we're going to have to go into this, uh, Borg cube debris field. They find it laying in the wreckage, completely untouched. And they're like, "All right, well, it's not safe for us here because odds are cubes are going to come looking for what happened here, and we do not want to be around because we're not on really good terms with the Borg." Um, and Seven's like, "All right, well, let's just beam this thing in and GTFO." And now Janeway and like one of the, her best moments of hypocrisy is like, "Oh God, I don't want to bring." borg technology on the ship i don't want anything to do with this like super gun shy about any of it it's like are you the same catherine janeway who four episodes ago in drone was just super carefree about like let the borg baby hyper mature with this crazy 29th century technology and let's just let it all play out and what's the worst that could happen we're gonna and now what's what what could possibly go wrong board tactical cubes. No big deal. We'll just blow them out. Like, just these wild inconsistencies, man. They're so stark, but I don't blame her. Like, this is the way that Janeway should be in my book. This is the way everybody should be like, oh, fuck, we want nothing to do with this. This is, like, real taboo shit. Uh, But like you pointed out, yeah, they do bring it on, and they put it, you know, where else other than five feet away from the fucking... Of
0: course, it could be nowhere else. Not the cargo bay where all the other no. warp shit is. No, no, it couldn't no. be like hung right next right. to the warp core. Not in the shuttle bay. No, listen. it, it This the, way, when it flips out and like starts shooting assimilation tentacles and everything, it could just I want Im- so bad. It could just immediately take over the ship, just straight away. That no,
1: no delays. Got on the internet, went to Airbnb. Saw all of the great reviews that, you know, the rogue AIs and robot people and fish lung Tom. And everybody else is like, you know, five stars would stay here and Rampage again. Ten out of ten. Uh, it looks cool. It's nice to see some some sinister tech like that. It's nice that they did do a physical mock up of this thing so it could be actually displayed. I thought that looked really neat.
0: They end up uh, a... Ast- they analyze the super evil Lich's fire factory device and determine that there's actually a synthetic pathogen inside of it. There is a disease in there, and apparently, uh, this this disease gave all of the Borg that were on the Cube uh, space aids total insanity. The and uh, yeah, it it was uh, put on there. Uh, It's seemingly on purpose by a species uh, numbered 6339 whom has had some bad times with the Borg. Apparently, like uh, many billions of them were already assimilated and there was barely any of them left. So obviously Janeway doesn't give a fuck. And the Borg found one of their uh, last shuttles, found the occupants and uh, assimilated them. But they apparently had. You know, super brain aids and made the whole Borg cube go crazy and it blew up. So this is no normal, you know, I just have to get out there with a wrench and and turn a few Borg uh, uh yeah, screws and we're good. This is this is some next level shit. So they set out to find species six three three nine while also trying to work out a way to suppress the viniculum so that it stops transmitting, you know, the 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 disease into seven of nine, that's forcing all of these personalities to the surface. Joe, do you think that the Necheyev
1: directive that was issued to Picard back in, what was it? Reunion? Um, uh, well, it, it would have
0: been the, yeah, it was reunion part, it. part one. Yeah.
1: Cause that was uh, the
0: next time they ran
1: into him. They get Hugh and they're like, all right, we've got some options here. Cause we've got a Borg drone. And I forget who was on the crew says, you know, we could put a virus and we could send the drone back to the hive and cause a hive collapse. And it's because Hugh becomes a beautiful, wonderful human being who is going to do great things with his life and then be unceremoniously killed by a fucking boot knife and that abomination Picard.
0: (laughs) By the incest Romulan sister. Rather than do anything good
1: and have a final face moment with uh, seven of Nine, where we've got the good face of reformed Borg with the Machiavellian Terminatrix. Uh, they just threw a boot knife in his neck and killed. him. Anyways, uh, Picard did not pull the trigger on the Hugh Hive collapse. And Necheyev rips him a new asshole and says, the next time you have the opportunity to take the Borg out, you fucking do it, right? Do you think that the other Starfleet captains were alerted to Picard's blunder and given the same order that like if you have the opportunity to take the Borg down you do it consequences be damned?
0: I certainly think that the the Nechaev doctrine should have applied in the situation if we were keeping it 100. If this weren't a dramatic television show that required your actors' characters to live, if this was like Federation for reals, Janeway's call should have been hmm so you mean to tell me you guys invented a bioweapon that's gonna infect all of these board brains over and over and over again and real do de- deal real real damage to them? All right. That's worth one of my people. That that's, sucks, but that's that is correct the correct call.
1: That's gonna be, you know, we're jumping there's some real good stuff for us to talk about between here and there, but like ultimately when they have their co- confrontation with these guys, it's like, God damn, Jamie, like how many times are you gonna fuck the Delta Quadrant? Like you just got called on this shit that you made the wrong call with 8472 or whatever, that billions of people died, that our tourists species and and all this other stuff. And here you've got another golden opportunity to just keep your hands to yourself and let these guys fight back against the biggest threat living organisms have ever seen. And she's like, no. (laughs) The life of one of my people is too important. Uh, I'm going to try and stick my dick in your mashed potatoes and just ruin it for everybody.
0: I I think that if there had been one line of dialogue, they could have fixed it. I, I couldn't help but think of Timeless because obviously we just watched it. But also they made sure to have a line of dialogue that explained why waiting to fix the quantum slipstream drive was not an option. Just one line about some rare element that they're synthesized and that they can't even guarantee they'll be able to synthesize again. The odontanium or whatever it was. And it's like, cool. That's all I needed, right? Like you gave me a story reason of why urgency is required and why they can't afford to wait. And there could have been some kind of line here where they could have provided some kind of – where a justification for where Janeway could have been like, oh, no, this is cool. This is a great idea. We just need to turn it off and – you know use this mind meld thing so that we can you know solidify our person uh but then you can have it back that's fine you know like something along the lines of like she got what she they were attempting to do and wasn't going to try and stop them but she just wanted to save her person first and then you know then the aliens are unreasonable and then there's a conflict i think yeah Uh,
1: that's i mean that would
0: have been enough for me there needed to be a cost
1: too great there had to be too much collateral and it too sloppy of a solution to be plausible. But when it's, you know, how is it not to Bach mean like the lives of the many outweigh the needs of the few or you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Like there, there had to be something sinister that just, it could not be a, a feasible plan. And I don't know how you build that collateral, but it's, it's just too much of a good opportunity for Janeway to screw over uh before we get to that though we get treated to a few other characters uh um, my
0: favorite being the 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 ferengi uh the she the seven kind of makes a turn into kind of permanently being taken over by her multiple personalities while in astrometrics and one of the personalities she actually spends probably the most time in is uh diamond tarot <laughs> is the name of this character and uh again jerry ryan Never had seen anything with Ferengi in it ever uh, before cramming some TS9 into her life to figure it out. Fucking nails it. She has to do all of this dialogue of this merchant Ferengi attempting to like buy the 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 view screen and astrometrics and wanting to like get hired to to improve sickbay and all this stuff. And her body language and like she's like the way she like tries to hey buddy the doctor putting his arm around a, this, his neck and is like oh, you know I can fix this place I'm gonna get you new bio beds just very used car salesman about it but mm-hmm. still like right on it like absolutely perfect
1: yeah her body language I specifically noted as well um, Janeway has a few other she does the hand thing that yes. all the Frankie do like the, that like was, that was throwing the hand stomach out like eh mm. uh, it was great. Janeway's got a throwaway line about how one of the manifested uh, personalities was a uh, Krennum scientist that she debates temporal physics with, which awesome throwback to year of hell. Not that they would remember, but you know, <laughs> not that they would remember, but I, you know, and again, like everything we're seeing is focused on alpha quadrant residents and the majority of the people at the Borg have assimilated should be delta quadrants. So, Talk of them, I think, was pretty cool. That's uh, true. The standout personality that she'll manifest for me is the mom who was looking for her son. It's a Starfleet mom looking Starfleet. I wanted closure on that. I wanted Janeway to recognize the person that she was talking about. I wanted to see her son end up manifesting as well and her to relay. The desperate message of a dead mother to her dead son from beyond the grave, and have that touch like the the foundation was there, and damn it, they didn't give it to me. Um, but that's there's... a that's a neat idea. <laughs> it's a fucking awesome idea. It's a yeah. shame that they didn't have me in the writers' room. I mean, I yeah. was only sixteen, but I, I, you <laughs> had ideas, damn it. <laughs> um, again, there's a lot of really good Borg trauma. I, I think they did better expressions of Borg trauma in this one episode alone than we got in Hall of Picard, but uh, w- whatever. This is actually where the Chakotay was right. Talk pops up around. Um, we will later go on to actually encounter species 6339, which I want to call the Typhoid Marys. I'm going to call them the Tron turds because they look like <laughs> poopy people packed into condoms with uh like blue l wire like (laughs) tron legacy which i'm a huge fan of i like these guys a lot tron turds are some of the best aliens and again anybody who's been traumatized by the borg and is like oh yeah fuck that i'm fighting back like i'm in these guys camps
0: absolutely 100 agree like If I had billions upon billions of my people assimilated, I would give no fucks either. They're also in like some sort of stacked warship. Yeah. It's got like 22 phaser cannons on the aft side. It's just like this thing is built the fuck. It's like, uh, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Like, I guess these guys mean business. So they bring this guy on,
1: and, you know, like you said, he's got some clit head with some dangly action, whatever. It's nice to see, again, some radical costuming stuff going on. It's been a while since we've had a a good-looking new villainous kind of character. And I—I'm again, I'm not calling these guys villains. I think they got a solid plan. I think the way it's presented, like this thing is super targeted. They're like, oh, you got the viniculum? Well, you done fucked up. Show me where this thing is. Here's our whole plan. We got jail fucked to bejesus by the Borg. Uh, We sent in a suicide mission of 13 of our guys who are willing to die to willfully get assimilated so they could plant the super virus and we could start collapsing the Borg one cube at a time. Uh, Sorry, your crew member got infected, but that can't possibly be because we are so good at what we're doing that it only targets Borg people. And Janeway's like, well, she's a Borg, but she's recovering, so it's cool. And they're like, well, sorry, this one person's going to have to die because we need to kill the Borg. That's like a a Delta Quadrant thing. We got a real problem with these guys and... (laughs) If you could just keep your hands to yourself, it'd be great. But Janeway's like, no, not on my ship. And they're like, also, by the way, I don't know if you saw our ship or not, but it's built to fuck. (laughs) So (laughs) why don't you hand this thing over? Because newsflash, if the vaniculum could survive a board ship blowing up, it'll probably survive your ship from blowing up. So please be reasonable and play ball. And Janeway's like, no, get out if I'm going to fuck over the Mentox or whatever and collapse wormholes instead of just, I'm not going to get into all that again, but you know, if I'm not going to give the, the, the space sewage people a reasonable time, I'm not giving you a reasonable time either.
0: So we, we have uh, the last piece of the puzzle here and that is uh, our second go round of Tuvok's last mind meld was with a psychopathic murderer, and this is a worse idea. No, it wasn't. His last mind meld was with
1: a ticking time bomb demigod who was psychoflexing the hull of the ship.
0: Oh God, yeah, Kes. Kes,
1: okay. Yeah. Tuvok has an addiction to putting the hell in his head.
0: Yeah, like yeah, it's it's Lon Suter. Super Saiyan Kess and Seven of Nine with a billion personalities. It's like, oh, man, is that the most fucked up brain have we've we've ever fucking run into? No, it's let not. Let me get in that. Let me get in
1: that. And also, let us, we'd be remiss not to mention all the skeevy back alley. Uh, <laughs>
0: Grinder hookups where he's like touching dudes' faces and giving them
1: murder visions. Like, you thought that he was just investigating these guys for the good of Bolana? Like, no, this, this is two vox jam he likes fucked up shit in his mind and he is chomping at the bit so he's like hey listen uh we i might be able to help anchor the right personality to her body so you know basically throw her a rope right and the doctor's like no that's a terrible idea even though i have a better idea to do it and they're like all right well let's explore this and then the doctor goes to to 70s like you know tuvok got this crazy idea and you know, it's going to kill him. And I told him it's crazy. And she's like, yeah, tell him to do it, please. I need help.
0: And yeah. Like, uh, I, I I don't want to die. So let's go ahead and go with that plan. I'm scared,
1: which I thought was pretty cool that she yeah. was not like self is like, no, don't let him hurt himself. She's like, yeah, get it, get him in here. It's fucking, it's rough. I need the help. I love the scene of Tuvok sitting there. I, they swapped out his like meditation stuff, like his genie lamps gone, which I was bummed about, but he's sitting there in the dark with a candle lit. And I felt like when he opens his eyes up and it's just like, well, time to go get my brain boiled again.
0: <laughs> I loved the scene with the uh, the mind meld itself. They made it horrific, like being in that that circumstance in a way that was quite visceral. All things considered bad part of it was
1: they used a crappy 90s wavy filter. Yeah, they used that like fisheye filter like, thing. Woo-hoo. Yeah, it was. I think had they just gone even like black and white or just something gone for that horror aesthetic because it was scary enough on its own. It's like a big fucked up haunted house, right? And boy, was the costume department busy for that scene. You got Romulans, you got Klingons, you got Cardassians. Yeah. You got Rojan, you got yeah. Starfleet, you got kids, you got dogs, you got the monkey back from My Little Prairie. Uh, you know, it's. All the animals of the 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 arc were there in force, pissed off like some sort of bad ICP video. And <laughs> it was terrifying. I did appreciate that all the cortical Starfle- nodes. How do they work? Okay, yeah, <laughs> sorry. OK, warp <laughs> particles. How do they work? Uh, so I did like that. All the Starfleet in that scene was in the correct TNG
0: era, you know, solid front color um uniform. yeah because if they were if they were uh assimilated at wolf 359 they would have been wearing tng era uniforms nice attention to detail I was very nice you got the little girl
1: in there screaming for her mommy which certainly hit me on a level that i was not prepared for and that was part of this too is like if they're successful in anchoring her and putting all these voices to rest it's like
0: all of these people are gonna die again. And I, I don't think of them as dying though, because I think they set it up as these are latent images. they're they're basically leftovers, psychic leftovers, not like full formed personalities.
1: That's one way to look at it, but I saw a grieving mother trying to, you know beg a, another captain to relay a message to her missing son. And in fact, during this entire exchange, uh, the Vulcan personality manifests in Seven of Nine again. And whereas all of these other ghosts, right, these ghost images seem to be trapped in a a loop of their past predicament, right? The grieving right. mother. I mean, if, in a lot of ways this feels like 13 ghosts, right? Minus, mm-hmm. minus boob with knife wounds over the nipple. The Angry Princess, if you'll remember her from 13 Ghosts, which certainly had an impact on my formative years. Uh, <laughs> 13 Ghosts is, by the way, one of my favorite movies. Actually, no, okay, whatever. Um, But all of these ghosts are trapped in their moment of death, right?
0: Yeah, they're trapped in the, the lingering last uh, elements of their life. Like maybe not their moment of death, but like what they were doing in those final hours. With the exception of the
1: Vulcan who is absolutely situationally aware, because when she manifests as Tuvox applying the mind meld, she is actively describing the situation. And she is casting real time doubt that like what you're doing is dangerous and stupid. She's lost, you're only endangering yourself. And you should not be doing this. She is completely situationally aware. And in that moment, I think it's we have very clear evidence that like, yeah, these are latent images, but they are cognitive of the world around them and that I want
0: to I want to poke a, a hole in that. And it's only the Vulcan one that seems to be aware and as we have established Vulcans have greater psychic abilities and obviously mental abilities than the average race. So I can buy the idea that the Vulcan image after image was able because of that to in its existence be aware of its existence like that seems like something a vulcan mind would be able to do but it doesn't make it a real thing you know it just well, it makes it a little that, bit more complex
1: than the rest of them let me counter that by saying what it sounds like to me is that you're saying that vulcan lives do not matter and oh, that they should yeah. just be killed <laughs> i'm going to counterpoint you by saying that vulcan lives are the most important lives and even if you have a brand new civilization or species like tuvix that one vulcan life is more important than all of that and you must do everything possible to destroy that as janeway has pointed out
0: i I guess that is that is the the guiding ethos of voyagers all things must be destroyed including people murdered on this very bio bed Mm -hmm. Uh, and that you need to save that vulcan life under all circumstances
1: so uh Again, I'm going to say that 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 Vulcan person was aware of this situation. And again, it just it's what made this episode dark in a attractive way to me, in in a good story way to me, that the Borg are terrible. They do terrible stuff. And, you know, people like Seven of Nine are should be continually confronted by the atrocities that they've committed and that it hurts every time it comes up.
0: Uh, I, I, I can't speak highly enough of the frenetic energy in the mind meld scene adding to this claustrophobic horror sense that made it much more effective than I actually expected it to be. Like, even on the I've seen this episode maybe three or four times and still like watching it. like, Jesus, that's just so well shot. Like all of this just anger and desperation that you would expect all of these people probably felt in their last moments is like manifest here. And it just makes sense. So meanwhile, while Tuvok
1: is at this horror rave going on in uh, Seven of Nines' head on the outside, the space Tron turds. Species 6339 Typhoid Marys, they have had enough of Voyager's ship. They want that flacrity back. Uh, they are tired of Janeway jealously and foolishly damning the Delta Quadrant to assimilation all over one person. So they're like, all right, we're done waiting for you. And they open fire. And whereas a garbage truck can give Voyager a real run for its money, this thing with all 29 cannons per side it was just like love tapping them. So rather than just <laughs> blowing them up.
0: 29 like- cannons on the aft side seemed like it was a little bit much for that line of dialogue. It should have just blown them away. Yeah. But Turn- I guess like, it, you know, after surviving so many space Mewtwo blasts, and maybe Voyager's just made of sterner stuff than we get. <sighs> it paid for, you know, like shrugging off blows that blow up whole queue. Did you miss me? the part where
1: I said the uh, garbage truck almost fucked him up?
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I remember. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's my bigger question. Instead of uh, why is it Voyager did not blow up? Why does Voyager, again, not just run away? Your warp drive works fucking zip out of there, man. Like, it's the same shit with uh, the episode that we did not review where seven of Nine makes her accusations like Voyager hangs around and has fights it doesn't need to have. Like, you understand what these guys are about. You understand that you have a different agenda. Just. Warp the fuck out of there, man. Um, eventually, the mind meld kind of works and Taurus kind of does her thing. The shields go down around the phylactery during the, the firefight. Instead of it being like crazy assimilation to tentacle porn, um, you know, the the viniculum just chills out and lets itself get hacked. Uh, Balana shuts it down. Tuvok grounds the correct personality and, you know, the day is saved. I do like that Janeway reaches out, she's like, all right, hail uh hail the, the Tron turds, let them know it's cool. And they just don't give a fuck, they keep shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Janeway's like, all right, fuck it. Beam this thing out of here, which I will point out would require dropping the shields and getting them pounded, but whatever. They drop the thing, the space the Tron turds scoop it up and they fly away, and we're left with a little heartwarming scene about how Seven and Nine's back. My question is, of course, going to be, Joe. What happens to the viniculum, this hairbringer of doom for the for the Borg? Like, did Bolana effectively just completely ruin this thing? Uh, does it come back up? Because this seems like a really great way to start ruining the, the Borg back in.
0: Not on this show, um, although, believe it or not, uh the uh the tron turds are a player in star trek online i believe as, as being like anti borg extremists is that uh, is that possible i mean can you
1: be an anti borg extremist like well in the in the, i don't know
0: how much star trek online you've played but the if i at all is the answer uh but the timeline has advanced to the point where the borg have kind of been gotten gotten their ass kicked there's a lot more liberated drones and the Borg cooperative which we have run into on voyager is a major player as well so being like just rabidly anti-borg is a little bit of a faux pas in star trek online because there's there's former drone klingons there's former drone Federation members XBs, joe didn't you watch picard Shut shut the fuck up. Shut the
1: <laughs> shut the fuck up. Pure fucking hubris. Yeah, pure fucking hubris. Sheer fucking services.
0: Yeah, whatever. Shut up, Admiral Craft Services. Anyway, so uh yeah, and no, this never comes up again, and of course, uh we don't know if it worked or not, so it probably didn't. Jadeway screwed up yet another way of damaging the Borg. For you real know. though, man. Like yeah that's
1: the the biggest takeaway from this thing is like once again Janeway dams everybody to the board. Like stop, enough, <laughs> enough. <laughs> just your just fucking stop ship's Get not worth it. Yeah. Um. Anything else about this guy?
0: No, that uh, I like the last scene. I take the back. I, I like the last scene. Uh, you know, her kind of connecting with with Naomi Wildman is, is cute. The teach me how to play Kata I will comply. You know that I, I like that. They gave her a little bit of this connection slash humanity through her. It was appropriate. Again, use. I want to be
1: clear. I don't like Naomi, Naomi Wildman. I don't like the children actor component. I don't like what we get on screen, but I do think that there is a strong foundation for the person that seven of nine is willing to connect with is a child. I, I do still, we had the conversation way back when they initially brought her on. And I think it was the one where, uh, uh Kim who likes banging one-year-olds <laughs> or I, you know, I, I postulated like seven is emotionally stunted. Like her body has grown. And, you know, we said, all right, well, the maturation chambers and the alien way, the Borg thing, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, she is not a mature adult human being that she is emotionally underdeveloped. And I think that is correct for her to identify closer with a kid than she would an adult. And that this is a direction I would be interested in exploring the character for her to try and make up for lost time on that. Uh, not a bad episode. No, I would say this is a good episode. Um, Certainly not the best we've seen out of five because there's some pretty high peaks on it. But this is better than the majority of the, the season five episodes we've seen so far. And I think I would have liked to see some of these themes fleshed out more if we've already described. But I'll take what I can get in. Uh, not a bad one. Uh, from here, though, we're going to be going into season five, episode eight. Nothing human. And we see the EMH and we see what looks like a Cardassian. An injured cytoplasmic life form attaches itself to Balana, tapping into her body like a parasite.
0: Wow, that actually uh, tells you nothing about what the episode is really about. That's kind of neat. Um, this winds up being a fantastic uh, doctor episode, in my opinion. And I really like this one as well. I think my preference for season five is starting to come through, considering how many times I've said that. But this is really good, and I think you're going to like it cool uh joe i got a special request to make oh
1: okay it away how much time we just dedicated to picard uh in this episode and how great that theme song that uh ian and sarah made for picard can can we play out to credits on this one with the picard theme you know what peter i'll make it so (laughs) wow more picard than picard good job joe
0: thanks buddy and we'll see you next week